Even amidst the devastation of the conflict and the fear of what's to come, there is hope. And for those in Ukraine, that hope has remained steadfast and so far unextinguishable. One of the people who's bringing Ukraine's resolve to the rest of the world is Lesia Vasilenko. She's a Ukrainian MP and an international lawyer and is one of the driving forces for the push for international condemnation of Russia. She joins me now from Ukraine's capital, Kiev. Welcome to breakfast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. It's now been a year since Russia invaded your country. How much has your life changed and that of your fellow Ukrainians? Well, it's a new reality. Um, everything that we heard, uh, well, at least that I heard from my grandparents about the Second World War suddenly materialized and became a part of my life. Definitely uh, things that I didn't think that I would have to live through in my lifetime, that my children would need to live through, my children who are now in evacuation, uh, just like my grandmother was when she was a child. And having to balance, um, we call it a war life balance these days in Ukraine. Looking back, almost everyone thought Ukraine would be defeated quickly. I'm interested to know, did you share that pessimism? No, not uh, for one single moment was there any pessimism um, at any point. I remember the weeks leading up to the 24th of February and I was talking to colleagues uh, from from different parliaments, from different countries, and the warning was there from every single country saying that, well, uh, you know, intelligence shows that Russia is amassing the troops, that they are going to invade Um and the question was sort of there in every single room as to, well, what about it? And that was the question that I was asking uh, my counterparts in the French parliament, in the British parliament, in the US Congress saying, well, what about it? Are you going to maybe deliver more arms to Ukraine? Are you going to reinforce our borders? Are you going to send in missions and troops to Ukraine to counter that offensive if it ever happens? And, you know, Every single time the response was that, no, of course not. I mean, what's the point? Russia is the second largest army in the world, right? So the world was expecting Ukraine to fail. But for us Ukrainians, it was never an option. So we were really hoping until 3.40 a.m. on the 24th of February that nothing would happen. Uh, But once it did happen, um, there was not a single moment of doubt We just united as a nation. There were queues to the military commissariats with men and women alike signing up to go and serve their country. And ever since then, I think the Ukrainian nation has been operating on this adrenaline rush, which started on the 24th and is not ending and will not end until there is victory for Ukraine. Did you ever imagine the level of international support and solidarity and the kind of resolve of the world on this on this uh, issue did did you did you think that it would last the course well as i said uh just in the weeks the days leading up to the 24th uh it was quite depressing talking to anyone in the international community because there was very little resolve to to actually uh, do much. And uh, even in the first weeks uh, of, of this escalation of Russia's aggression, uh, 
it was almost painful asking for weapons. Uh, almost immediately, all the nations uh, started condemning Russia's, Russia's behavior. Uh, again, uh, there was uh, the talks that it's it's the crime of aggression, which is being continued against Ukraine, that, that things shouldn't be done like that. This is a ruination of world order, world security. But when we were asking to close the skies, essentially give Ukraine aviation uh, to, to, to protect and uh, go on counteroffensive, when we were asking for the tanks, there was not much response. It took us almost a year for Germany to concede to giving the Leopard tanks and hence for the other countries who possess German Leopard tanks to start giving them to Ukraine. Uh, we are still asking for the aviation for our skies to be safe and uh, for the vulnerability points across the country uh, to, to be closed off so that uh, Russian missiles the Iranian drones they use and their av aviation cannot hit civilian targets and cannot uh, take the lives of innocent women, children and unarmed men. Uh, so it's it's a work in progress and sometimes it's frustrating, but uh, it's definitely not something which uh, uh, which means that uh, we Ukrainians will ever stop uh, fighting for our cause. Now, you're not only a Ukrainian MP, you're an international lawyer and you're pursuing a legal path to fight Russia. Can Russia be held to account? Russia must be held to account. There's there's no other way for the world to have a long-standing peace, a guarantee of a non-repetition of aggression, especially aggression of this scale in the middle of Europe and in the middle of the 21st century when presumably we're all civilized nations living by the rules spelled out loud and clear in the UN Charter, uh, based around the respect of uh, uh, international borders, of state sovereignty, of territorial integrity. Now, uh, unless and until that world order is brought back to the framework spelled out in the UN Charter and in many, many other international agreements, there will be no long-standing peace. And the only way to do that is to call a crime for what it is a crime, and that's the crime of aggression Russia is committing, which then leads on to uh, war crimes, crimes against humanity, an attempted genocide of the Ukrainian nation. Mm. Um, and actually not just calling out that they're doing this, but making sure that uh, the responsible uh, persons, the leadership of Russia, the president of Russia, the, the military personnel are all brought to justice in international courts, in a special tribunal set up for the uh, condemnation of Russia's aggression against Ukraine. So on that special tribunal which you've um, put forward, essentially do you want to put Vladimir Putin on trial? Uh, absolutely. Not just him, but the whole of uh, the Kremlin establishment. Also, uh, all those people who are uh, giving out the orders uh, to, to kill innocent Ukrainians, all the, those in the military command, also all those uh, on the ground executing those orders. Uh, basically, we are looking at a Nuremberg-style system in place, but this time Russia and the Russian establishment need to be on the court benches. And how about uh, the West sanctions on Russia? Are they having the bite intended? I mean, Russia's economy is expected to grow next year. What, what needs to change to dampen that? 
Well, first of all, uh, every single intelligence unit in every single country knows who the countries are and who the businesses are that are still trading with Russia. They are still supplying the Russian military sector with the necessary components for it to strive, to be producing the missiles, to be producing the, the, the other weapons and ammunition that Russia is using against Ukraine. And those supply chains to Russia need to stop. The trade with Russia needs to stop because this is a bloody trade. This is a bloody trade, every cent, every dollar, every penny of which is going into buying bullets to kill innocent Ukrainians. It's as simple as that. It's very black and white, very straightforward. And um, the, the countries who are not trading with Russia, who have sanctioned Russia, like the US, like the UK, Australia for that matter, um, they need to put pressure on the rest of the international community players who are still open to doing business with Russia. Another of your missions is getting Russia out of the international arena, the international bodies, including the United Nations. Now, every country from North Korea to Syria is a member. Why do you want Russia out of the UN and how realistic is that, given they're also, of course, um, on the Security Council? Right. Well, first of all, let's go back in history and realise one simple fact. Russia has no legal right to UN membership. Russia acquired UN membership as a result of a, a carefully planned diplomatic swindle back in 1991 in the New Year Christmas period when all the diplomatic uh, representatives and uh, missions at the UN wanted to, to just go off on Christmas holiday. So what Russia did, they just switched the nameplates from USSR to Russia and said that, proclaimed themselves a continuator of the Soviet Union. Uh, the thing to realize that at the point when this swindle was being carried out, the Soviet Union was no more. That's it. It went into history. It was dissolved. There was no such unity. But Russia itself as the country was not yet formed. Uh, so essentially what we have as a result, as a result, we have a country, Russia, which was never voted into becoming a member of the United Nations according to United Nations procedures, so the procedures, the rules of the UN were breached. And as a result of that, Russia also deemed itself as a country uh, of an exception, meaning that it never ratified the UN Charter, which is absolutely crazy if you, if you think about it. So Russia sits as a uh, privileged member of the UN with a veto power on the Security Council without actually ratifying the values, signing up to the values, to the norms, to the rules in the UN Charter. So, of course, Russia is going to feel like they are uh, eligible, like they are entitled to breaching the, the, the very uh, provisions, the very norms in that UN Charter book. Just finally, uh, let's fast forward a year from today. It's February 24, 2024. What do you hope will change in that time? Well, by that time, I hope that the world will be recovering from a victory party for Ukraine and not that for, for democracy. Uh, I very much hope that there will be enough uh, weapons and uh military defense mobilized and coming into Ukraine in a very steadfast manner so that we can uh, claim reclaim our lands, so that we can deoccupy our territories, Crimea included, the Netsk Luhansk regions included, and that it happens by, by well, at the latest, by the end of summer 2023. Uh, uh, after that, I very much hope that there is enough political will 
mobilize political will to put Putin and all his cronies on the dock of international justice institutions. And even if they're not put there, I hope that there's enough political pressure on Russia to make sure that compensation is paid out for all the ruins and the damage caused to Ukraine and um, that there's apologies going around, there's redemption, and there's a realization by the Russian people of the wrong that they have been endorsing for so many years. Lesia, many thanks for joining us and speaking to our Australian audience. Thank you. Lesia Vasilenko is Ukrainian MP and an international lawyer on this one-year anniversary since the invasion of Ukraine. You're listening to ABCR in Breakfast. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations live and on demand on the ABC Listen app. Me again, podcasters. I hope you're enjoying our coverage of international affairs on RN Brecky. And if you're looking for more stories that put world events into context, then look for Between the Lines on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.